You know, President Obama had eight years to resolve the war in Afghanistan. Clearly, this is a challenge with no easy answer. But the fact remains, after two terms in office, we were still stuck in the same quagmire with no end that he started out with. Even his supporters, and I'm one obviously, has to admit that when we talk about what Trump said this week. Trump gave a speech about his Afghanistan strategy, sort of, and we need to talk about it. But the first thought I had was that we have somehow created a world where Donald J. Trump has the power to command the might of the U.S. military. That's the kind of thought you can really get lost in. It can leave you speechless or send you off on a string of expletives. Because there are more than 2 million active and reserve service members in the United States. There are automatic weapons and tanks and missiles and submarines and fighter jets and destroyers and countless other instruments of death, including nuclear weapons. And the man we've put in charge of all of it, the man who can destroy any city in the world with a single order, is a thin-skinned, temperamental bully. He's also the guy who, who can't read a briefing paper more than a single page long, including charts and maps. He, he's not smart. He's not kind. And all he really cares about in this world is attention. There's a lot to say about the situation, but most of all, this is not normal. Hello, and welcome to the Trump Scorecard. I'm your host, Jesse Burney. So Trump's speech laying out his strategy for Afghanistan was odd because he didn't really lay out a strategy. He just said, we're going to stop nation building and start killing terrorists. But here's the thing. That doesn't actually win anything because I don't know what he counts as nation building. But if we cut off all our aid to rebuilding Afghanistan and just focus on destruction of terrorists, things are going to get even uglier. Increase our military action, and we're going to start killing more civilians along with terrorists. That's how it happens. And that's how you make more terrorists. Uh, Look, I'm not a military strategist. I couldn't tell you how to win in Afghanistan or if winning is even a possibility. What I know for certain is I don't trust Donald Trump to have the judgment to make the correct decisions when it comes to our military. It's not just his total lack of relevant experience or knowledge. It's his motivation. Remember, Trump is the guy who insulted John McCain by saying he prefers people who didn't get captured. And that's old news, right? But it still matters because those are the moments when Trump shows who he truly is, right? It shows the respect he feels toward our military, which is, you know, none at all. Yes, he's the president now and he'll say the right words, but he can't appreciate the sacrifice they and their families make because he's never sacrificed anything in his life. He doesn't understand the concept of personal sacrifice. And that's what's truly scary. A president with the power to destroy and no respect or understanding of the cost. Who knows? Who knows? Maybe Trump will magically be the one to defeat the Taliban and bring peace to Afghanistan. But 
I, I have a feeling at the end of four years or, God forbid, eight, knock on wood, that that doesn't happen, we're going to be right back where we started at the beginning of his term. Maybe the next president will be the one to figure this one out. His speech about Afghanistan was pretty well received because he read it off a teleprompter. So the usual suspects said he was the president now, and this is the pivot, and and it had included substance and history, but who cares? They're idiots. But the next night, the very next night, Donald Trump returned to his old form. He had a campaign rally in Phoenix. And I, I yes, I have to say this every single time, but he's been president for 31 weeks. And he's having 2020 campaign rallies, not because he's actually campaigning for president, but because his need for attention is deeper than my four-year-olds. And, and it was a classic Trump rally. It was anyone who paid attention during the campaign, it looked really familiar. He, he said the same things. Uh, he attacked the media for a really long time, went after them over and over again, talked about how they're, they won't show the crowd and they're turning their cameras off, which they weren't. They were continuing to show the rally. He, he just attacked them all over and over. And he claimed the protests outside the rally were tiny, which was a, a huge lie. In fact, there were thousands of people lining the streets and and, uh, on every floor of a parking garage outside. He attacked both Arizona senators, John McCain and Jeff Flake, had potential competitors to Flake, primary competitors, come up on stage with him. And he most disgustingly made himself out to be the victim of what happened in Charlottesville, which I talked about extensively last week because he didn't get enough credit for his first statement about it. Do you remember his first statement when he didn't condemn neo-Nazis? He read that statement uh, over the course of of many, many minutes with lots of of, uh, diversions, but he left out the most important part of that statement, which was when he blamed many sides for being responsible for the violence, which was the entire basis of the criticism about that statement. He just left it out like it never happened. He also more or less promised to pardon the racist former sheriff of Maricopa County, Joe Arpaio, just the week after he said that very fine people marched with the Nazis. So all the goodwill he built up with his Afghanistan speech went away. Um, There were amazing uh, clips of news media reacting with shock. Here's a, a good one from Don Lemon. Well, what do you say to that? I'm just going to speak from the heart here. What we have witnessed was a total eclipse of the facts. Someone who came out on stage and lied directly to the American people and left things out that he said in an attempt to rewrite history, especially when it comes to Charlottesville. He's unhinged. It's embarrassing. I don't mean for us, the media, because he went after us, but for the country. This is who we elected president of the United States. A man who is so petty that he has to go after people who he deems to be his enemy, like an imaginary friend of a six-year-old. His speech was without thought. It was without reason. It was devoid of facts. It was devoid of wisdom. There was no gravitas. There was no sanity there. He was like a child blaming a sibling on something else. And Trump, of course, 
was outraged by this reaction. How how dare people say I was good one night and, and terrible the next? And, and he tweeted this. The fake news is now complaining about my different types of back-to-back speeches. Well, there was Afghanistan, somber, the big rally, enthusiastic, dynamic, and fun. And the American Legion, VA, respectful and strong. Too bad the Dems have no one who can change tones. But he doesn't get it. The problem isn't that he changes the tone. Of course he changes the tone. The problem is, one of those times, we see who he really is, right? The Afghanistan speech, he just reads off a teleprompter. He's just reading words that are prepared for him. Of course he can get through it if he sticks to the script. But when he's left... Uh, when he's at a rally like he was in Arizona. And there was a script, and you could see he was reading it sometimes, but most of the time he's just kind of doing his Donald Trump thing. That's who he really is. When he plays the victim and reads his statement and leaves out the key part, that's who he really is. When he lies about the crowd of protesters outside, that's who he really is. When he insults Arizona's senators, that's uh, of his own party. That's who he really is. When he promises to pardon a racist, that's who he really is. And it amazes me that there are some in the media who are still fooled by his by speeches like the Afghanistan speech. And it's convenient for us that he will go back the next day and remind us this is who Donald Trump really is. Let's talk about how Donald Trump receives information. There was a story in Politico this week that John Kelly, who, of course, is uh, Trump's new chief of staff, was his Homeland Security director, um, has had to reinstate or instate a new uh, uh, program for delivering information to the president. Because before he came in, people would just throw stuff across his desk. And it is amazing the things that Trump's staff was feeding him. They were giving him Breitbart articles, which isn't shocking since his chief, his chief strategist until a few days ago was the former uh, chairman of Breitbart and is now back at Breitbart. He, he got fed Alex Jones articles, the like crazy conspiracy stuff, stuff from Chuck Johnson, who is one of the worst human beings on the planet. Uh, uh, he would just get crazy conspiracy theories across his desk. And I was thinking about this when he was talking, uh, you know, last week about when he gave the, the press conference with the very fine people, because he sounded like someone who was getting his information from right-wing websites. And obviously he watches a lot of Fox News. He praised that at the rally too, uh, said Fox and Friends is the best show on television, which, dear God. Um, but the, that, that control of information flow to the president is, is a critical operation, right? What the president sees has to be credible, well-sourced, valuable information. Um, and essentially, it was a free-for-all in the Oval Office. People were just leaving stuff on his desk. And Kelly has had to tighten that ship, and and, and Politico reported this, that he now and, and the president's um, staff secretary have to be the final vetting on what goes across his desk. But I think there's a, a real question here of whether or not that will or can possibly be enough. Because 
Trump has so many outside sources that he still gets information from, right? We know he spends a huge amount of his time watching TV, watching Fox News, whether he denies it or not. We know he walks, watches we know he watches Fox and Friends, which is a constant stream of disinformation. We know he watches Sean Hannity when he's not on it himself, which is a constant stream of not only disinformation but racist right-wing propaganda. And, you know, while staff may now have to vet the papers they show him, they still have his ear. So, you know, the people left in the White House, even though Bannon is gone, like Stephen Miller, Seb Gorka, what are they going to say to the president when they have his ear? You know, Kelly has been there for a couple weeks now, um, and he's gotten rid of some people, and he's, you know, apparently instituted some some uh, policies like this to tighten up information flow. But I don't know if you've noticed, Donald Trump is the same Donald Trump. He's still tweeting dumb things. He's still saying dumb things. He's still defensive and bullying and thin-skinned and uh, uh, whiny. So, you know, I wonder at what point does someone like John Kelly give up. You know, I, I imagine that someone like that, a decorated Marine general who, if nothing else, certainly takes the security of the country very seriously. I imagine that he sees himself as a kind of savior, a kind of a doorstop of someone who can do his best to impose some discipline in the White House and at least try to avert real disaster. But the question is, is there some point at which you realize that you can't do that and that all you're doing by working with and for this president, that you are complicit in everything he does? So I wonder how long Kelly's going to, to hang around, but, you know, maybe I'm giving him too much credit. As I record this, Hurricane Harvey is on the verge of making landfall on the Gulf Coast. And if you are in the path of the storm, especially uh, my listeners in, in Texas and surrounding states, I hope that you are uh, listening for warnings uh, and are prepared. And I, I really hope that you and, and your families are, are safe. Uh, one of the things about this storm that's so remarkable is, is the huge amounts of rainfall that are predicted in, in southeastern Texas. And uh, there is no doubt going to be enormous flooding uh, in some cities uh, in that area. And, and some people are going to have their homes you know, permanently damaged. And coincidentally, and quite horrifically, uh, the news just came out that Trump's head of the Federal Emergency Management Agency wants to make it, uh, wants to spend fewer federal dollars on flood insurance so that families who suffer losses like we are about to see in Texas will have to bear more of the brunt of uh, of flood insurance. So they will have to pay more costs. Or if they can't afford insurance, presumably, just be left out and and 
um, not be able to be made whole. Uh, flood insurance is one of those things that most private insurance companies stay away from because uh, it, it, you can't insure places that are prone to flooding because it's just too expensive. So uh, residents of those places rely on programs administered by FEMA to insure their homes. And unless FEMA is planning uh, mass evacuations of those areas, uh, it's hard to see how we as a society should not bear the brunt uh, of the cost to protect those people. Um, obviously, the best thing to do would be to uh, build as uh, as much flood protection as possible in places that are flood prone. Uh, you know, that's a, a tough to get to spend those dollars, but it saves more down the road. But in the meantime, those people deserve protection. And, you know, right on the verge of a huge historic storm, I'm sure it will be the the top story on the news for for the next several days, uh, unless Trump, I don't know, starts a nuclear war with North Korea. Right on the verge of that, uh, Trump is now saying, or his, his FEMA chief is now saying, they want to spend less money. Uh, to insure these people's homes. So again, I, I really hope uh, if you are anywhere near the storm that, that you have everything you need to ride it out, uh, or if you're somewhere that you need to evacuate that you that you get out. Um, but this is is a, is really emblematic of, of the priorities of this administration. Um, you know, Trump talks about how he was going to take care of the forgotten man. I can't think uh, of people more forgotten than people who live in South Texas and need the government to provide them flood insurance. And the possibility of that being taken away from them is making them more forgotten than they've ever been. I want to give a quick update on Trump's ban uh, on transgender people serving in the military. Uh, you'll remember a few weeks back, uh, Trump announced on Twitter, of all places, that he was instituting a ban on uh, uh, openly transgender people serving in the military. And uh, this was met with great surprise by the Pentagon, who had zero idea this uh, policy was coming. And this week it was reported that the White House is about to send guidelines to the Pentagon explaining to them how they want this new policy implemented. And this is something the Pentagon hasn't asked for. And in fact, it's something that Trump's own Secretary of Defense pushed back on. Um, it's also incredibly immoral. It's a terrible thing to do. It's essentially a, a, a returning uh, a form of segregation to the military. It doesn't save the money, any significant amount of money, which is the claimed reason. But we know what the real reason is. The real reason is a, a political sop to the religious right and just because they're bad people who discriminate against transgendered people. Um, but really what it struck me mostly as was was just terrible policymaking. They didn't care what the Pentagon wanted. They didn't care what was right. And they didn't care that uh, about having a plan to implement it before making the announcement. Trump just tweeted it out. And now they are trying to, to figure out a way to get it implemented. I'm, I'm hoping it, it never does get implemented, I'm uh, that uh, it will get tied up in the courts and that the Pentagon will resist it. If there's one thing the Pentagon is really good at, it is resisting uh, policies it doesn't like from the White House, from any White House. Um, but this is really a, an excellent example of uh, kind of the combination, the, the defining element of the, of the Trump 
presidency, which is that that perfect combination of immoral policy, poorly executed. Do you remember when Barack Obama was president, uh, how Donald Trump felt about his occasional golf trips and travel? I seem to remember that Trump would go on Twitter quite a bit, uh, pretty much every time Obama uh, went on the golf course to complain that he was golfing when there were important matters of state to take care of. It's funny then that as president, Donald Trump has also gone on the golf course uh, while there are important matters of state to take care of. In fact, he's gone a lot more than Barack Obama ever did. Uh, Not just any golf course, of course. Uh, Donald Trump likes to golf on his own courses, which makes sense. It's uh, a little cheaper for him there. Um, In fact, he's also traveled a lot, right? He's gone away most weekends uh, during the winter, mostly down to Florida, to Mar-a-Lago. He just spent 17 days uh, at his resort in New Jersey, and who wouldn't want to own a resort in New Jersey? And the thing about this is that those things, along with uh, Melania and Barron, his, his wife and son, staying in Trump Tower for the first five months of his presidency, it, it's racked up a huge bill for the Secret Service. And now the Secret Service is actually running out of money to pay its agents. Agents have a, a specific cap on overtime that they're allowed uh, uh, to be paid for the year. And a lot of agents are running up against those caps which means any overtime that they have to perform for the rest of the year to protect the president, which is their job, they're not going to say no, isn't going to get paid. And that's not the only issues with the budget, right? Uh, I talked before on this show about how there was a disagreement between Trump, the the Trump organization and the Secret Service about how much rent they should pay at Trump Tower, uh, and they ended up getting kicked out of Trump Tower. It also broke this week that the Secret Service has paid $60,000 toward golf cart rentals at uh, Trump golf courses. And that's the thing, you know, so much of the president's time is spent at his own properties. And and no one begrudges paying the Secret Service to protect the president. That's that's their job, and that, that should be taxpayer-funded. But you would think that the president, who is protected by these people, who will throw their bodies in front of a bullet to save his life, that he would not be looking to exploit them for profit, right? So when they rent golf carts, you know, maybe they're required by law to pay for that, but maybe you could give them a break on the golf carts they're using to follow you around the course while you play golf. Maybe you could make sure they can afford the rent to to stay in your building to watch your wife and child. It is just outrageous that because of his unique position as an owner of these properties, that he's able to eke a profit out of his Secret Service protection. I want to spend the rest of the episode talking about the environment because there are a number of stories this week about this administration's failure to act as a steward of the environment. Uh, Obviously, that's something that has happened uh, over the entire course of this administration. And you may be surprised uh, this administration has been in office for 31 weeks, not as it feels 31 years. But, uh, you know, of course, the most famous example uh, uh, is Trump pulling out of the Paris Accords, which is an enormous disaster for the country and the world. 
But but this week there were uh, some smaller but still really important stories that gives you a sense of Trump's priorities. And I want to start off with one that actually could have been worse. Uh, Interior Secretary Ryan Zinke undertook a review of 27 national monuments to determine whether or not they should be national monuments or whether we should just open them up to logging and drilling and and mining wherever uh, loggers and, and drillers and miners would like to go. And while uh, they did not um, go the extreme route and uh, and rescind the National Monument designation for any of these areas, uh, they both are reducing the size of some of, some of the monuments, uh, or plan to reduce the size of some of these monuments, as well as do what they can to open them up uh, for more resource exploitation. And... You know, it, it's one of those examples where it could have been worse, but the the point is that the priority of this administration was to take lands that were protected and say, what could we exploit here? What what could we uh, dig up and uh, dig out uh, and do to 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 make a buck for someone who who probably already has plenty as it is? So, you know, it could have been worse. And I'm glad it wasn't, but um, it still shows the, the, the wrong priorities of this administration. The next story is about national parks. About six years ago, the Obama administration put in place a rule to stop selling bottled water at national parks. The reason's fairly obvious. Uh, you go to a national park, you buy a bottle of water, you're a shithead tourist, you drink the water on a hike, you toss it over the hill, Soon the national parks are, are filled up with plastic bottles, uh, which is incredibly crappy. And rangers are, are picking up plastic instead of uh, doing the rest of their job. The Trump administration has decided to rescind that rule. And in an interesting coincidence, that rule change came just three weeks after the Interior Department hired someone who used to be a former lobbyist for, wait for it, the bottled water industry. You know, it's funny how they talk about draining the swamp, and I I mentioned that phrase a lot on this show because it comes up a lot. But Trump talked about draining the swamp, and it's funny how draining the swamp always seems to mean putting lobbyists in charge of the industry they were going to regulate. I guess in this case, they're draining the swamp and bottling the water to Sell to you in national parks. Next up is coal mining. You know what mountaintop removal mining is, right? That's when they cut the entire top off a mountain to get at the coal inside. It's a quick and dirty, and I mean dirty way to get at coal. And needless to say, this can have pretty grievous health effects for the people nearby, right? They they dump the, the top of the mountain into, uh, into uh, nearby waterways, I can pollute the water. Of course, it creates a, a huge amount of dust. And the National Academy of Sciences was doing a study to determine exactly how bad those health effects were and who could possibly object to just a study, not a policy, not, not a ban, not a, a policy, but just a study to see how bad the health effects were of mountaintop uh, uh, removal mining. Maybe if you had a president just kind of generally opposed to science, uh, he might 
not be a fan of that. So the Interior Department, and I know this is a lot about the Interior Department, uh, told the National Academy of Sciences to stop the study. Stop it. Just stop the study. Just don't do it anymore. Said, you know, oh, we're, we're uh, reviewing all of our grants. We don't know if we want to spend money on, on, on this anymore. So those people that Trump goes to and says, I'm going to get your jobs back. I care about your lives. I'm going to, you know, restore the coal industry. He doesn't care enough about their lives to determine whether the industry they've worked in, how bad it's hurting them. And it's not just them, of course. It's all the people in their community, um, the people who work at the diners they eat at and who teach their children and who uh, work in the hospitals around them. All of these people can be affected by this. And uh, they were expecting answers about their health. And now it's just not happening. Speaking of twisting science to meet their own ends, let's uh, hop over to the Energy Department. Uh, there was a draft report uh, a few months back that came out about the reliability of the energy grid. And the draft report uh, was was leaked. And essentially it said that uh, the, the energy grid is in better shape than it's ever been, um, largely due to market forces and, and better regulations. It's all complicated and even I don't really understand it. But the energy department said, no, 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 this isn't the final report. Um, we need to, to finish the report. So the final report came out and some of the conclusions that were in the draft report were changed kind of um, suspiciously, uh, where it said that uh, certain kinds of energy like wind and solar, uh, uh, especially subsidies for wind and solar, are having a negative impact on the energy grid. These these subsidies for renewable energies are having an, a negative effect. Only the data in the report doesn't back that up. And in fact, it backs up the conclusion in the draft report because those subsidies have at, at best a minor negligible impact on the grid. Uh, and in fact, there are much bigger forces at at play. So what that means is the energy department essentially tried to rewrite the report to come up with a conclusion that was uh, weighted against renewable sources of energy like solar energy, wind energy, and against subsidies that support those those forms of renewable energy and wrote those conclusions into the report even though the data did not support those conclusions. That is the kind of mentality we're dealing with in this administration. You know, this goes to show how much this administration hates science, environmental protection, subsidies to energy companies if the energy happens to be renewable energy instead of fossil fuels. Uh, it is getting to the point where we cannot trust the the functions of government that aren't supposed to be affected by politics, right? Reports like these from agencies are supposed to present the the American public with the unvarnished truth, the facts, the data. And instead, they are being rewritten, literally, to uh, come to conclusions that simply aren't true based on the report themselves. Uh, this is really a direct attack, not only on the planet, but on the American people. And until this administration is done, whether it's through 
impeachment, we're just running out of time. We cannot trust what this government is saying. And that is a truly, truly scary proposition. Let's end on one more note about the environment and go back to Trump's rally in Phoenix, where he said this. We've ended the war on beautiful, clean coal, and it's just been announced that a second brand new coal mine where they're going to take out clean coal, meaning they're taking out coal, they're going to clean it, is opening in the state of Pennsylvania, the second one. Now, I'm not a coal miner. Um, I'm not an, an engineer. I'm not an energy analyst. But I'm pretty sure that clean coal doesn't mean you dig it out of the ground and then you, you know, scrub it with a washcloth and some soap, which would just get your washcloth dirty, frankly. Uh, clean coal is uh, A, a myth. It doesn't work. Uh, but the idea behind clean coal is you build plants that when you burn the coal, you have some way of capturing the carbon uh, so it doesn't go into the atmosphere. Uh, they've tried it. It has yet to be successful, but uh, uh, it is definitely not taking the coal out of the ground and cleaning the coal. And again, I don't expect the president to be an energy expert either, but if you could just get some of those little basic facts right, that'd be great. That's it for another week with the greatest threat to our planet as our president. Remember, you can find links to all the stories I've covered in this podcast on the website, thetrumpscorecard.org. You can go to our Facebook page to get more information and some cool bonus material at facebook.com slash thetrumpscorecard. Find me on Twitter, at Jesse Burney. And if you have any questions or suggestions for the podcast, send me an email the Trump scorecard at gmail.com. And don't forget, you can join the people who support this podcast by going to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash the Trump scorecard and making a pledge. And the best part that I did was go to the playground because I played hopscotch. The Trump Scorecard is written, hosted, edited, and produced by me, Jesse Burney. Our music is from bensound.com. I'll be back next week, and remember... This is not normal.